0: The
1: case of vandalism uh, with the the Quebec Act helps highlight that there are many issues with British rule uh, before the actual hostilities of the Revolutionary War uh,
0: began. That's Journal of the American Revolution contributor Mark Anderson discussing a bust of King George III that was destroyed in Montreal. And he's our guest today. I'm Brady Kreitzer, and this is Dispatches. This episode of Dispatches is sponsored by Simon & Schuster, Publisher of Liberty is Sweet, The Hidden History of the American Revolution, by Woody Holton. Available now wherever books are sold. Hello, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to another episode of Dispatches. I'm your host, Brady Kreitzer. Today our guest is Journal of the American Revolution contributor Mark Anderson, and he'll be discussing a uh, destruction, if you would, uh, of a bust of King George III uh, that is probably the second most famous Such act uh, in the in the years leading up to the American Revolution, I was kind of dancing around that if you haven't noticed, um, because there was a very famous scene, and Mark will discuss it uh, in New York City when a statue of King George III uh, was very publicly destroyed in the streets. It was kind of a watershed moment of. Of rebellion in in early America. And of course, you know, I can remember the uh, invasion of Iraq in 03 and 04, and we saw statues of Saddam Hussein toppling, and, you know, the parallels are obvious. Um, But Mark Anderson presents a pretty interesting discussion about what it means to destroy a likeness or a statue, uh, and how, even though the one in New York was probably the most famous example of this... It wasn't the only one. In fact, it wasn't even the first. So sit back, relax, and enjoy our interview with Mark Anderson. Mark Anderson, thank you for joining us.
1: Thanks, Brady. It's wonderful to have the opportunity to talk to you again.
0: Tell us about your background.
1: So um, my history, writing, researching career really began while I was uh, still an active duty Air Force officer. And I started looking into uh, the role of Canada and the American Revolution for possibly an article project, but then I was uh, unhappy with the the sources that I could find out there, so I ended up writing my own book, and uh, from there I found my uh, niche to to channel my passion for history, and uh, two books and many articles later, I'm uh, still enjoying the chance to, to do the research and writing.
0: What first drew your interest into this topic?
1: So it's really the uh, convergence of uh, two different streams. Uh, First, uh, there was historical discussion of incidents surrounding King George III's bust in Montreal in many of the historical accounts of Canada and in some Canadian histories. But often they uh, uh, repeated misconceptions and had limited, limited reliance on primary sources. So I kind of wanted to tackle that. And then obviously, uh, current events in the last couple of years have generated lots of discussion in, in our broader American culture about uh, public mo- monuments and their role and uh, the appropriateness of acts of iconoclasm.
0: Talk about the importance of destroying statues. Why do events like this matter?
1: So it's really uh, a human behavior that traces back to uh, the most ancient of times. Um, when a uh, new religion or new government takes over, uh, erasing images of past leaders or past representations, uh, the Romans had the concept of uh damnatio memoriae, where they would uh, effectively remove every image they could of uh, somebody who had been replaced. And that tradition continued on uh, since then. The English uh, really... Uh, reignited the tradition in the Reformation and English Civil Wars, uh, both Protestantism and removing uh, images of kings as they had been replaced. Um, And the the iconoclasm studies uh, talk a lot about uh, the individual iconoclasts' uh, compulsions, uh, an attack on a leader's representation can feel like an attack on a hated individual. Um, but I really look more at the politically symbolic uh, role of destroying images, uh, statues, busts in this case, as challenging or changing authority. Uh, a way to reflect or um, express new community views by uh, symbolically breaking the past.
0: What was the state of things in Montreal in 1774?
1: So uh, Montreal is one of two cities, uh, two major cities in the British province of Quebec at the time. It is the hub for the fur trade going up into the, the Great Lakes and, and the west from there, on um, the St. Lawrence River and, and the uh, Ottawa River. And it's really like the business center of the province of Quebec at that time, where Quebec City, the other city, is really looking the other direction for the Atlantic trade and serves as the provincial capital for the British government there. Uh, The British had only been ruling in Canada since 1760 in the French and Indian War when they uh, conquered the uh, province of New France from the French. And almost immediately, uh, Anglo merchants started coming in from Britain and the British colonies initially to supply the British army and then uh, take advantage of their connections in the British trade world to uh, dig out a part of the uh, fur trade that was going through the St. Lawrence Valley. Um, There were hundreds, maybe a couple thousand uh, Anglo-Protestant merchants in uh, Canada at the time, many of them in Montreal, uh, but there were still tens of thousands of Catholic French Canadians that had remained after the change of imperial control in Canada. Uh, That created a situation from 1763 to 1774 that had a lot of unresolved political and cultural tensions in Canada. Uh, The Treaty of Paris passed over uh, Canada to the British, but there were guarantees of the right to practice religion and maintain property for the uh, French Catholic Canadians who are there. Um, But the uh, King also issued the Royal Proclamation of 1763 that promised that the new colonies uh, that England gained from the war would get their own representative governments like other British colonies as soon as it was practical. And these tensions uh, broke out into two different parties. There was one called the French Party, um, which was uh, obviously the, the French Catholics were uh, part of that, but the government took their side. Their goal was uh, to accommodate the French Catholics into the empire and not exclude them from what had traditionally been a Protestant uh, empire. And then the, the other side of that was the English party, which represented a large, large part of the merchant community that had uh, settled in Canada after the war. Uh, and they were looking for the traditional British customs of, representative government and the legal traditions that they were comfortable with. And the situation lasted for uh, you know, 11, 12 years until 1774 when the governor of Quebec, Guy Carleton, went, to, had gone to England, worked with parliament and they crafted a new law that would establish a construct for ruling the province of Quebec known as the Quebec Act that passed parliament and, and, and got royal approval
0: in the summer of 1774, why was there such anger towards the British Empire?
1: It really comes down to the uh, Quebec Act in, in early 17, uh, late 1774, early 1775. Um, most people, uh, casual students of the uh, American Revolution, might see the Quebec Act lumped in with the uh, coercive acts that were passed, the Intolerable Acts, uh, to punish. Uh, Boston and Massachusetts for the, the Boston Tea Party. But really, it just happened to be coincidence that this was finally the time that the uh, British government got around to resolving the issue of a, a, effectively a, a sort of constitution for the province of Quebec. Um, it had some controversial measures in it that broke with longstanding British tradition. It uh, allowed toleration of the Catholic Church and uh, a church hierarchy within. Quebec, it accommodated French Catholic participation in the government. They'd previously been excluded from the highest levels of government by uh, an oath requirement that basically uh, required uh, support of the Anglican Church and incorporated French uh, civil law. And all this uh, helped secure the support of the Catholic Church in Canada and the French Canadian elite. But on the other side, it broke with that. Longstanding British tradition, uh, did not allow for a representative assembly that the English party had been petitioning for repeatedly uh, in the intervening dozen years. And so the English party almost immediately petitioned for a repeal of the Quebec Act with uh, separate petitions to the House of Commons, House of Lords, and the King himself, arguing that it broke the promises of the Proclamation of 1763, that they would get a representative assembly, which had been one of the key reasons why they argued they had settled in Canada. And uh, they argued that they were unfamiliar with French legal tradition, so that would put their business in danger. So there's really a continuation of these tensions between uh, accommodating French Catholics with what had become the Quebec Act and those uh, a minority of Anglo uh, merchants that uh, wanted to be more like the other traditional English colonies. How was the
0: bust of King George first targeted?
1: So, uh, beginning with uh, how the, the bust ended up in Montreal, um, there's a more f- famous story of uh, the, the destruction of King George III's equestrian statue in New York City that happens after the reading of the Declaration of Independence in 1776. Montreal's uh, bust of King George III came from a different source. It was donated from London uh, with a relief subscription because there had been a big fire in the city of Montreal in 1765. And this subscription effort thought uh, one of its goals besides providing relief for the, the damage that resulted from this fire was to encourage Canadian embrace of the British Empire. they had only been part of it for a couple of years at the point of this fire. So this bus was taken from King, George, uh, King George's collection, shipped across uh, the Atlantic to Montreal, uh, stayed behind closed doors for a few years. And then in, in 1773, they finally built a place, uh, a weatherproof kiosk to display it in Montreal in the, the big meeting center, the Place des de um which was right across from the entrance to uh, Notre Dame Church, the, the big parish church in Montreal at the time. Um, the installation, the public installation gave French Canadians uh, an opportunity to show their growing affinity for the British government. So there are a couple uh, notable cases of French Canadians going out of their way to use this event to to show that they had embraced uh, the king and his authority. And uh, being a very public meeting area, it it did reflect the king's authority. Um, And it was also a place where the uh, military garrison in Montreal would regularly parade. So it uh, put put King George's position right out there for everybody to see in Montreal. And, uh, it sat there for a couple of years until the night of April 30th, 1775, the night before the Quebec act was supposed to go into place. And, uh, Montreal citizens woke up the next morning to find that somebody had blackened the face of the King hung a rosary of potatoes around his neck. And from that, uh, necklace of potatoes, there was a wooden cross suspended, that said in French, this is the Pope of Canada and the fool of England. Um, So given its timing and the the statements and implications of the the vandalism, it was clearly a statement on the Quebec Act.
0: How did local authorities respond to this?
1: So immediately after it was discovered, the uh, military garrison sent some soldiers there to, to clean up the the king's bust and restore it to a a state of dignity. And um, different communities in Montreal started looking to blame each other. Um, Nobody was immediately caught for doing this. Um, The Anglo merchant community, who would obviously be the suspects for something like this, given the the tensions between the the different parties in Canada, immediately put together a reward to, to demonstrate their innocence Uh, British Army officers uh, put together their own subscription for a reward for anybody who could provide uh, evidence of who might have been the perpetrators. And once word got back to Governor Carlton in Quebec City uh, a few days later, he issued an official government reward. So there's all these uh, official rewards out there um, looking to find who had done this. And then uh, prompted by these rewards it wasn't really, uh, well, I guess it, it prompted an authority's reaction, but uh, on the May 2nd, so the day after the, the vandalism had been discovered, uh, the British Army comes out to announce their uh, officer's reward. And a crowd assembles, and people start arguing within the crowd, and two different fights break out. And in each case, they are a French-Canadian uh, um, middle-to-upper-class person fighting with uh, an Anglo-Jewish person Uh, and the Anglo-Jews in Montreal had had close connections. They were effectively in the English party, had been amongst those petitioning for uh, repeal of the Quebec Act and previous petitions for representative government. So there's there's these fights. Uh, The authorities intervene afterwards. One of the uh, Jewish men that was involved only had to post bail uh, for good behavior. Another one was put in jail for several days, while the French Canadians received no punishment for what had, by all accounts, essentially been uh, equal responsibility, at least for these fights. So the government, uh, at least implicitly, showed uh, favoritism again towards the French party uh, in this dispute that was prompted by the Quebec Act and the vandalism.
0: Was the bust ever destroyed or defaced again?
1: Uh, yes, uh, the, the um, so where the the first vandalism had uh, pretty clearly been something done by Canadians, Montrealers, uh, in September of 1775. Uh, the Continental Army, Northern Army, invades Canada uh, up Lake Champlain and, and the Richelieu Valley and then into the, the St. Lawrence Valley. Valley after a couple months fighting. Uh, Montreal eventually capitulates to this uh, American army, and when General Richard Montgomery takes most of his force to Quebec City for what will be his uh, uh, siege and, and fatal attack on Quebec City, uh, he leaves behind a small garrison. It is mostly uh, New York troops that are left there. And on the night of 15th December, we have uh, a couple of different newspaper accounts of Um, the bust in uh, Montreal getting attacked. Uh, It it has sort of a humorous tone of King George III losing his head. And despite people's best efforts to take him to the hospital, the doctor said nothing could be done. There was no hope for recovery. And uh, that's essentially the, the best detail that we have of what went on on the night of 15 December, 1775, when this bust is ultimately destroyed. There's one other primary source account that mentions that uh, the bust – the head of the bust was eventually dumped in a privy in Montreal as well, which proved to be um, uh, a fact in, in the early 1830s when uh, they dug up an old well and actually found that the head of King George III from this bust eventually ended up in uh, – variety collections until I ended up in the McCord museum where it's on display now in Montreal.
0: How does this relate to the destruction of King George's statue in New York city? Very famous example.
1: So um, first off, there are a couple uh, similarities that I found as I started looking into it. Um, the, the first, uh, the more known case in New York city uh, happened on the 9th of July as there was publicly re- reading of the declaration of independence And then that night after the reading, a group of uh, Friends of Liberty and some uh, soldiers uh, took part in tearing down the statue of King George III in New York. Um, So with that and what happened in Montreal, these are both cases where soldiers unofficially, uh, unsanctioned, took efforts to tear down these symbols of of royal authority. A a really interesting thing that I, I found was a connection in the newspaper accounts of both these events, the Montreal and New York City event that uh, take a quote from John Milton's Paradise Lost um, that is talking about Lucifer, uh, the devil, um, and his fall from heaven. And, and the quote is, alas, how fallen, how changed. And, and it's used in reference to King George III, who was once respected, but now has uh, basically become an, an enemy of the American people. Um, the account from Montreal was written and published before the event in New York City ever happened. So how did uh, the same quote end up in both newspaper accounts of Montreal and New York? There's no clear answer. It could have been coincidental. Somebody who had read the Montreal account from a few months earlier just reusing it could have been perhaps the same person who wrote the letter from Montreal that happened to be in New York. We know some people were in both places at both times, or it could have just been a coincidental use of what was a common reference for the political struggles at the time and uh, disappointment, disappointment in people who the uh, different parties thought were were the deceivers, either the, the patriot Americans or the King. It was used both ways, uh, so that was an interesting connection. Uh, but most importantly, it sort of moves to the left on the timeline. Uh, a pattern of revolutionary iconoclasm and removal of symbols of the king. So uh, the 9th of July, 1776 was the traditional start of this uh, iconoclasm, revolutionary iconoclasm. Really need to look back to to the continental northern army in Montreal um, half a year earlier, really starting this pattern. Um, And then Uh, There's more documentation of what happens after the 9th of July uh, destruction of the statue in New York, where this pattern continues on throughout many of the northern states, where any symbols, official symbols of the king are publicly destroyed, and even um, private references to the king that might be considered positive are taken down, like tavern signs, uh, as an example. So that by uh, the middle of August, uh, New York's governor, governor... royal governor, William Tryon, is saying that every vestige of royalty, as far as has been in the power of the rebels, has been done away. Um, so it, it, it's part of a pattern. And now, really, looking at Montreal and including that that pattern actually starts earlier.
0: Mark, how does this article help us understand the revolutionary era better?
1: So the two different um, incidents with the bust uh, show a, a couple different things. The case of vandalism uh, with the, the Quebec Act helps highlight that there are many issues with British rule uh, before the actual hostilities of the Revolutionary War uh, began, uh, lots of pol- points of political tension, um, but that didn't necessarily equate to the sides people would take once fighting had started and it was a war between uh, patriot elements in the colonies and the king and his supporters. Um, It's something that's seen elsewhere uh, uh, throughout the colonies, but it's it's a great example of that. And then most importantly, it uh, shows the importance of public symbols as expressions of authority dating back in our history to before we were even a a country. Um, Removal of those public symbols of uh, a ruler as a sign of a, a change in communities, political views, and a break from its connections to the past.
0: Mark Anderson, thanks again.
1: Thank you very much, Brady.
0: The music played in this episode included works by Kevin MacLeod and the Sturbridge Colonial Militia. Any unauthorized reproduction or use of this podcast, without the express written permission of the Journal of the American Revolution, is strictly prohibited. For everyone here at Dispatches, I'm Brady Kreitzer saying so long.